The Lord spoke that title of me because I hear people say, for the love of God, <laughs> would you just, and it just hit me, for the good or the God of America? In society, we assume, listen to me really close, I want teenagers to really listen. I told them Friday night at our house. College students. Listen, and let me know what you think of this word. I really want to know if you disagree with it, what you think of it. We live in a time, a society, in a culture, culture that, listen, that assumes if something is good, it is God. Listen to me, listen to me. A good friend of mine wrote a book, Good or God. It's an incredible book. We assume that if something is good, it is God. We live in a time, listen to me real close, this is a prophetic word, where everybody is right and nobody is wrong. And if, if you tell me I'm wrong, I'm just going to say, well, that's for you, but as for me, I'm right. Nobody wants to be wrong right now. Everything is labeled right depending on who says it, their gender or whatever gender, or they may be like Miley, not even have a gender. Called Pan. My heart aches because I've had a son who's walked through homosexuality. So I know what I'm talking about. I've walked with people through very difficult things, not only about sexuality, but life in general. People that are dealing with a suicidal spirit. One young lady came to this house yesterday for the women's meeting said, I intentionally don't wear my seatbelt when I drive my car hoping I'll get killed. Oh, that makes me cry. For the good or the God of America, we, everything, we assume that if something is good, G-O-D is behind it. And we make good in God synonymous or interchangeable that good and God are both have to be gotta be the same but shouldn't we know between right and wrong don't we have to know between right and wrong I'm, talk, I'm not even talking about as believers as a human for our existence I don't want us to become hunger games. Now, you may laugh at that, but I'm telling you, Hollywood has prophesied for 100 years, and the very things they show 40 years before begin to start happening. I'm just telling you the truth. Where the human soul is absent, the value of a human being is nothing. I'll pop a cap in you in a second. If good is always God, shouldn't it be obvious to us? Listen to this statement. Perhaps what appears to be good is not always God. What appears to be good 
may not be, and I'm finding in the time we live in many times, is not God. There'll come a time where what is evil would be called good, and what is good, I just read that, right? Where what is good, that's wrong, that's evil. We're living there now. Hebrews 5, 14, you'll see it on the screen, says, there's got to come a time that we're able to discern both good and evil. Man has to be able to discern. Take it to the next level. Christians, believers, we have to be able, and I could go take a whole left-hand turn and talk about the spirit of truth right now, but I won't. The Holy Spirit is called the spirit of truth. You will not know what is good in the truth without, apart from the Holy Spirit. No matter if you wear the bracelet and go to church every Sunday. Many Christians go to church every Sunday because it's the cool place to go. And they don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth. And you will only know the truth by that way and, and another way that we're going to get to. He says, we've got to be able to discern. Everybody knows what the word discern means, right? We've got to be able to tell the difference between good and evil. Okay, so King Solomon who many of you know about, the Song of Solomon in the Bible, 1st 2nd Kings, wisest man ever to live. Everybody say King Solomon. Wisest man ever to live, and he had a serious amount of dough, too. Wealthiest man ever, if you've ever studied King Solomon. A real man, not a make-believe character, King Solomon, wisest man and the wealthiest man. Talks to God, and you'll have to go check it out how the whole conversation happened, but he talks to God, and God, 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 watch this. This is Old Testament even. God ends up saying to King Solomon, hey, ask me for anything, and it's yours. Now, how many would like that? Genie in the bottle almost, you know? God looks at Solomon, and there's a reason why, because Solomon had a right heart. And he looks at Solomon and says, King Solomon, ask me whatever you want. And I want you to look at this next scripture, what he asked for. Would you guys put that up there? Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people. He's a leader. Put in all different realms of leadership, boss, whatever. Solomon says, help me to be able to discern between good and evil. What? This man is brilliant. And God says, ask me for whatever. And he says, I need to be able to tell if I'm going to lead and walk, that can go from leading your family, your marriage, your house, your children. However, God, please help me. Because maybe it's not as obvious as we think. Oh, y'all don't hear me. Maybe it's not as obvious in the time we live in to really be able to tell good from evil. That the lines are really blurred right now. If you listen to this church, they say this. If you listen to this pastor, he says this. If you listen to Facebook, they say this. How do you know? God, we need to say the same thing. God, show us and help us to be able to judge and discern between good and from evil. Matthew 16, check this out. Everybody say, Jesus. So here's Jesus. I love to talk about Jesus. He's everything, the Gospels. But here's Jesus. He's getting ready to go to the cross, Matthew 16. Don't read it yet. Just hang with me. Look at me. Matthew 16, he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's telling all of his staff, 
all the disciples, I'm getting ready to be crucified. This is what's going down. This is what's happening, yada, yada, yada. Brother Peter steps up and says, no way. Like when he said, don't even wash my feet. Y'all remember that story? Peter had a way of just not being in tune. I don't know. I can relate. Peter says, Jesus, no, you're not going to the cross. It's not going to happen. Look what Jesus says. Jesus turned to Peter and said, go away from me, Satan. Ouch. That hurt. You just called me the devil. Because it's serious business. This is very serious stuff. Had Jesus listened to Peter, he wouldn't have went to the cross. Had Jesus listened to Peter and not his father, he might have not went to the cross. Get behind me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. Watch this. You are seeing things. Everybody say seeing things. Merely from a human point of view and not from God's point of view. Wow. Your mind is carnal right now. Again, Old Testament, Jesus hadn't died yet. He's a believer, though. We all know that, right? It tells me as believers, we can look at things as a, through a human point of view or a God point of view. And there is a big difference. Because wouldn't you think it's the right and the, watch this, the good thing to do is to want to preserve the life of your friend? Duh. Yeah. Wouldn't you think that's the good, good, good thing to do is to want to preserve the life of your friend named Jesus, the Savior? Yeah, man, that's the good thing to do. But was it the God thing to do? Peter, you are seeing things, hearing things, telling things from a human point of view. You've been watching too much Fox News. You've been watching too much CNN. Your mind is not the mind of Christ. We live in a time where everyone is saying what is good and telling everybody what is evil, too. Everybody. Everybody is declaring what's good and what's evil in their own sight. Maybe, again, just maybe good is not as obvious as we think. Maybe good is not like just boom, oh, I got it. This is why Solomon, the wisest man ever, says, you know what? If you give me anything, you're talking about value of what needs to be valued. Help me to have discernment for my family, my marriage, and my life between what is good and what is evil. In Mark 10, this guy, the rich young ruler, many of us heard the story. This guy is majorly rich. He wants to join Jesus' ministry, basically. He comes up to Jesus and says, basically, how can I be born again? How can I inherit eternal life? Look at Jesus' answer to this guy. We know the story. He said, he comes up and says, good teacher. You got to make sure you, you hear that. He says, good teacher. How am I inherit eternal life? Jesus stops and says, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. Now, hold up just a second. You saying Jesus is not good? 
No, Jesus is perfectly good, but I understand he's also fully man. What was good for Jesus is not the same as what was good for God. The two are very different. Only God, the Father, at this point, can you know true good. Only can you call God good. Are y'all getting this? Jesus has a reference point for what is good. God has a reference point for what is good, and the two are not the same. Scott has a reference point for what is good. God has a reference point for what is good, and I promise you they're not the same. And if I listen to all kinds of voices and hearts and things, I will be like Peter. Because people will come to you and try to talk you out of taking up your cross. No, you haven't got to do that to serve Jesus. Remember, we, there's a new gospel. Mom and daddy went wrong. It's more like this. You can do this. You can live like this. You don't have to. Let me tell you something. The Bible says take up your cross and follow. Die to your own interest. That is still about being a disciple. But if you have Peters around you, they will talk you out of doing what God has told you to live and to do. They will talk you into disobedience, that God doesn't mind you doing this. And if you listen from a human point of view or a religious, ungodly point of view, you will follow the wrong crowd. Y'all are quiet now. I'm not going to let y'all go and eat some ribs or chicken if y'all don't say amen sometime. This word's going to save somebody. And also you're going to be able to turn around and be able to minister to some people. And people that call themselves Christians, and they live good, but they don't live God. There must be a reference point. God has a reference point. We as humans have a reference point. Good is all about a reference point. Let me show you. Two families. You got two families. Both of those families move into a brand new three-bedroom, two-bath home. Brand spanking new. Two families. But for one family, it's good because they just moved out of a small trailer. But for the other family that's moving into that brand new three-bedroom, two-bedroom, they just had to move out of a million-dollar home because they almost lost everything. For one family, it's good. Good is all about having a reference point before you can understand what good is. Oh, come on, somebody. Remember the Garden of Eden? If you ever have questions, always go back to the beginning. Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden. We know that there's two trees mentioned. Everybody say two trees. There are two trees that are mentioned. You've got the tree of life. We know that tree represents Jesus in the New Covenant, right? Do you understand that tree represents Jesus? And then you have another tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Jesus told them not to touch or eat. God told him, excuse me, not to eat from this one tree. Everybody say one tree. This tree of the knowledge of good 
and evil. Well, Paul Harvey, we know the rest of the story. We know what happened, and right now, some of you got the sniffles and everything else. Thank goodness for Adam and Eve. My kids used to get mad at me and say, man, why did Adam and Eve have to do that? Sad to say a lot of people live there still today as Christians because they don't realize there was a new Adam. His name was Jesus. Ain't got time to go there, but you realize there's a new Adam that took care of all that. Healing belongs to my sniffle now. My back pain, my blood pressure, my problem, my situation. Now in the new covenant, we have the authority to, to put all that down. It doesn't belong to us. Come on, amen. So they decide, Eve and Adam decide to eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now listen to this. May I submit to you today that it wasn't the evil side of the tree Eve was attracted to, but the good side. Can I say that again? It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Maybe, just maybe, it wasn't the evil side that Eve was attracted to. Attracted to. I'm going to show you more in here in a minute. But maybe it was the side that looked good. Check this scripture out right here. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for Ah, that got to eat. She saw, I can go into the eyes right now, the eye gate, how the eye gate works against lust, pornography, and everything else. She saw that it looked really good, and she reasoned it. It's a good reason, food. That it was pleasant to the eyes. Evil's not pleasant. See, see, we're missing it. We're missing it. We're missing it. We th- it was the good side. It was the pleasant side. It was the attractive side. Listen to this statement. There is a good in America that will lead people away from God. I'm going to say that again. There is a good. We may have a PowerPoint for that. There is a good that will lead people away from God. God. The Bible says in the last days, and I preach to you this message with great fear, and I, I preach to Scott today, not Pastor Scott. This message is so needed right now for every person in this room, every home, and I believe for this nation. The Bible says that in the last days, and I believe we're living there. We can talk about that if you want to. Some argue, some this and that. But I believe Second Timothy 3 is coming to pass right now. All these things. I believe we are living in the last days. And the Bible says clearly that in the last days, deception will come so powerful and so rampant. And deception, listen to me, will be so powerful and be so strong that the very, the Bible calls them the elect, will be deceived. Say the elect. What's that mean? We don't hear that word for in our normal language. It means the very pillars and Christians of the church will be deceived and fall away from God. One minute they believe this, the next minute they're now agreeing with everything out here. They've been talked to by the Peters of the world. Their, their theology has changed. They now believe that God's word is relative. 
and it's not absolute. God's word is relative. Come on, dude. It's, it's relative. That was good for them way back then. That was good for mom and them in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Come on, we live in a new day, a new time. God's word is not absolute. When it says things, it's relative. And somebody will talk you into that. And the Bible says in the last days that the very elect, the deacons of the house, pastors, teachers in the body of Christ, people that you used to look up to, that I can name to you that I used to watch as a young man as preachers are now off the deep end. And that puts fear in me because every day I say, God, that can be me next year. See, I'm always aware of that. That can be Scott next year. Somebody say, good or God? How will the elect... The church, you, me, be deceived in the last days. Let me guess. By just ungodly satanic music and cults. By drug fest. Sex parties. Can I tell you, no, church. That is not how the body will be deceived. This is the most blatant sin that we can think of. I'm telling you, no, that's not how the body in the last days will be deceived. The church will be deceived by evil that is masked as good. The church will be deceived by a doctrine that is masked, that's evil, but is masked as being good. Well, come on, if we love them, if we, this, isn't that good? Doesn't that just make sense? Wow. I'm going to say it again. The church will be deceived in the last days by evil that is masked as good. Proverbs 14, look at this, look at this, look, 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 look. There is a way that seems good, right, to a man. There's a way that, come on, that's the good thing to do, right? Oh, my goodness. Is this making sense? There is a way, if I'm not careful, that I can talk myself out of that seems like the good thing to do, but it's not God. 2 Corinthians, let's go New Testament. Check this out. 2 Corinthians says this, but I fear, listen, 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 that somehow by your pure an undivided devotion to Jesus Christ, that it will be corrupted. Watch this, what I just got through talking about, Eve. Just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. Adam and Eve were in the perfect environment. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Uh, God gives the command. And the Lord commanded Adam and Eve, saying, of every tree of the garden. Say, everybody say every tree. Say every tree. Of the garden you may freely eat, but the one of the tree of knowledge of, not the tree of evil. The tree of good and evil, you shall not eat of that tree. And the moment you eat of it, you surely die. They lived in the perfect environment before they were deceived by the serpent. How did he deceive them? You got to really pay attention in the next few minutes. How 
did, how was it that Eve, I mean, no sin, she had, there was no fear present. You know, the environment of, of the garden was, was perfect. There's no sickness. There's no fear. She don't even know what the word fear means. If you were to say, Eve, do you ever fear things? You're like, do I what? How was it that Satan deceived her? Genesis 3.1 says this. Write this down. And the serpent was more cunning than the beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Write this down. Number one, how did he get it? Satan was able to get Eve's focus away from God's generous provision. Now, I know that sounds real churchy and nice, but you got to get this. Satan was able to get Eve's eyes off of God's provision. There are somewhere around 2,500 fruit trees. And I believe in that Garden of Eden that every one of those fruit trees were were there, represented. 2,500 fruit trees. Satan has a way of, in other words, there was 2,499 trees that God said you can have. I give it to you. Just this one. You see, Satan wants to get your eyes off of God, what God has given you. That's the first step. And he wants to put your eyes on the one thing he said, you cannot have that. Oh, come on, man. I'm going to move on. Genesis 3, 4, the next scripture. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not die. Really? I know God said the moment you eat from me, but you're not going to die. Number two, Satan wants you, the next step on the way to deception is you to negate God's word. Listen, I want you to listen real close, real close. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. That's the next step toward deception is to basically discount God's word. See, the attack is against the truth right now. I don't know if you know that or not. The, attra- the attack really is not against the messenger. It's against the messenger who's speaking the truth, whether it's on campus, wherever you are, in your neighborhood, on your job. The attack is against the truth right now. Truth is the new hate speech. Satan tries to negate God's word in order on the path to deception. Eve reasoned it. Hey, I'm hungry. That looks good. Wouldn't God want me to have it? After all, I got my needs. Y'all know what I'm saying? He wants you just to, I know what the Bible says. Y'all go ahead and say it. That's why you got to make up your mind. Is this a dusty old book that's irrelevant, outdated, or is it really God's work? 
two believers, let's say they're both in their early 20s. You know, they're out of the house, grown up. Two believers, two believers. They get together and they start liking each other. They start a relationship. The relationship's great. They start talking. You know what? You pay rent and I pay rent. You paying for direct TV and so am I. You're paying utility bills and so am I. You're paying for your own groceries and we can cook together. If we were to bring our stuff together, that would be a really good thing, good thing to do. After all, we're going to be able to tithe more at Daystar. And I'll be looking at Jesus. I knew God was right there. I knew he was into us getting together and sleeping together and living together. You get the point? Satan is a, is a great deceiver. I'm surprised by how many Christians are so deceived right now. They talk themselves into that sinning is okay. Cohabitation is wrong. They negate the, that Ephesians talks about that fornication is wrong. They negate Hebrews 13.4 that tells us that fornication is wrong. They negate that Ephesians 5 tells us that sex, sexual immorality and fornication should not be a, as a believer. Oh, come on. Stop it. We love each other. We still going to church. Pastor, we tithing. We're saving money by living together. Mama didn't raise no fool. And neither is God a fool. You're living without a roof on your house when you're living in sin. That storm that came last night, it's like you're living in four walls without a roof. And you talk about I'm blessed and highly favored. No, you're not. God can't bless a mess. God cannot bless disobedience. Rightful, I mean just willful, outright. God's for this thing. Because after all, y'all know I got my needs. You know, God would be for me to do this. Satan will come, and he came to Steve and said, I know he said you'll die. But maybe he was just talking about, like, you know, because you know your hairs die, and they'll fall out. So maybe it was, he was really, maybe God didn't really mean it that way. Hmm, it is good, because we're going to save money. A whole lot of money. I'll be able to give to the poor. Hebrews 5, God took me to the scripture this week, and i got to run. Check this out. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain. Please write the scripture down. It's really good. Since you have become dull... Of hearing. This is talking to believers. Dole of hearing. For through by this time you ought to be teachers. Some of y'all been going to church forever. And you need someone to teach you again the first things in the oracles of God. You're not even obeying, just giving your tithe and 
living pure, the, the ABCs of being a disciple. Turn and tell somebody, he's talking about you. You better get right. Pastor Charles, Pastor Ed, put away that Garrett's popcorn right now. He's sitting there eating Garrett's popcorn. I brought him some popcorn from Chicago, and he's sitting there eating popcorn like I'm some show or something. Here, give me a piece. That's caramel and cheese from Garrett's. What are you talking about? That just took my anointing to another level. Y'all getting in the flesh. Stop it. And you have come. You finally said, I don't need milk. No need. Come to, come, now you've come to need milk and not solid food. In other words, you're not grown up. Look at the next scripture. But solid food belongs to those who are full of full age. And that's talking spiritual, that is. Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised. This is why if you're living off of Sunday morning church and you are not maturing and being discipled through connect groups and all these other ways of discipleship, you're going to be dull of what is good and evil. And you will let people talk you into doctrine of demons and not doctrines of God. But they will be masked as sounding really good. Understand, she was attracted to the good. Satan's that cunning. He's not going to say, like for me, I've never drank a drip of alcohol ever in my life. To God be the glory. I've never had a drink of alcohol. I've never smoked anything or had anything like that. So if you bring a big old Michelob in front of me right now, and I'm not getting into preaching against alcohol, just hang with me. My family, all most of them died of alcoholism. And if you were to bring a beer right now in front of me, and it's a hot summer day, and those little drips are dripping down it like on the commercial. For most people, they're like, because some of you have come out of that, and you've decided, I don't need that in my life. Because my family and, and stuff and how I act and where I go. Some of you be like, for me, you can bring it in front of me. I'm like, water. Water. You can bring a, what do they even call marijuana? I mean, a smoke. A what? A what? What'd you, Ryan, you came out of this. What is this called? A blunt. A blunt. You can bring a, bl a blunt, Ryan, in front of me. This will... And right now, now to you, on a bad day when hell shows up to attack you, we'll be like. Let me go behind the shed. He's on the throne again. It's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit. But you bring it in front of Scott, that means nothing to me. I've never tasted marijuana. Never tasted a drug. I don't want it. That's why you don't awaken desires, because once you awaken them, you got to deal with them. Satan is smart and cunning. Look up the word cunning. He's not going to come and present something that means nothing to you. He's going to play off your past. Oh, come on. I'm preaching good right now. Number three, Genesis 3, 5 says this. I promise I am hurrying says this, I've been told I've been preaching way too long lately. For God knows that in the day that you eat a, what? He tells these, God knows in the day that you eat from that tree that he told you not to eat. 
He's just going to get upset because you're going to be like him. And he's just trying to keep something from you. What's the next point? Watch this. Satan comes to pervert God's character in your eyes. He comes to pervert God's character. God's just trying to keep something from you. Satan loves to twist God's character in your eyes, especially if you've never had a real dad and you don't even know how to, what a real dad looks like. You will compare God like your earthly people. This is why you must have an encounter with God's love that is none like anybody else's love. God will never be an absentee dad. And God will never walk out in you, even in your worst. And God will never abuse you or hit you or take advantage of you. God, Satan will get you to question God's heart for you. Come on. Is he really trying to do, he knows the moment you're going to eat from it, that you're just going to have like superpower. Could be just like him. Huh. You know, I did kind of see God look a certain way. Come on, he don't care anything about you. See, I experienced this with my son, Noah, when he was walking through difficult times. Because the whole time I was trying to give him what is God, not good, I had people telling him, dude, your dad doesn't give a rip about you and he doesn't love you. Because if he loved you, he'd let you do what you want to do. After all, you just want to be happy. And God's about us being happy, right? Happy is God, right? Is it? So I understand this whole principle of Satan comes and try to tell, like Satan came to try to tell my son that, that I didn't love him. And I'm talking in that roughest time. I was like, no. This is love. Satan will come and try to pervert God's character and to question God's love for you. Genesis 3, 5. Satan will offer the good thing being withheld. It says, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will open and you will be like God. Satan will offer you the good thing being withheld. God won't give it to you, but I will. God won't give it to you, but I will. He even tried the trick with Jesus. Jesus, if you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all the kingdoms. Like, did your brain fall out? Sad to say, some people take the bait. I'll give you that man you've been wanting. That job you've been wanting. You could talk yourself into it that it's God. You know, y'all know missionary dating. Y'all ever heard of missionary dating? All my single folk? Well, I'm loving on them to win them to Jesus. I call that missionary dating. No, you're about to end up in my office two years later. Because you really think you're going to save them. Hit somebody say, he's preaching good right now. Some of y'all need to say, I wish I would have listened to him. James 1 says this, write this scripture down. Do not be deceived, 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 my beloved brethren. So he's talking to the church, right? 
Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation. God is not wishy-washy. One minute he doesn't say this is wrong, and the next minute goes, oh, it's okay. There's no shadow of his turning. But every good, this is talking about God's, from God's perspective. We, we take this as Christians and go, this is a commandment. This is not a commandment. This is a promise. You see how we can see it through religious eyes? This is a promise to be deceive-proof. Anybody want to be deceive-proof? This is how you become deceive-proof. This is a promise from God that I will, if I will hear his truth and what is good from him. Who wants to be deceive-proof? If you don't hear any more of this message, and I really promise I'll be done in a minute, listen to this one phrase, one paragraph that I'm going to read to everybody in this room. If you're going to be deceive-proof, then you must know this one thing. There is nothing good for you outside of God. That's 100% right there. There is nothing good outside of God. So keep listening. I'm going to read the rest of my paragraph that I got in red. I highlighted it in red. No matter how good it looks, how good it feels, how good and profitable it is for your business, even though the IRS is against it, how good and acceptable it is to all of society, good and acceptable, how good... He or she talks to you at work, and your spouse at home talks to you wrong. If your good is contrary to God's word, it will destroy you. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I got to read it one more time. No matter how good it looks. No matter how good it feels, y'all know it's just been a long time. How good and profitable it appears to be for your business, and then I'll give more to God. How good and acceptable it is to everybody in society that's saying it's, it's okay as a believer. That church even says it's okay. How good he or she talks to you at work, at school, if it's contrary to God's word. It will destroy you. So what is our reference point? What is our, we have to have a reference point. 2 Timothy 3 tells us all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true or good and to make us realize what is wrong or bad in our lives. Somebody said the Word of God is our reference point. It also corrects us. When we're wrong, the word corrects us. There's only one other woman that Pastor Christie will allow in my life. Her name is Siri. And she corrects me all the time in 600 feet, make a legal U-turn. I am not great with directions. Anybody else directionally impaired like me? Make a legal, legal U-turn, 600 feet, make a legal U-turn. She corrects me. Why do we live in a time where people don't like to be corrected? Can I ask you a question as your pastor? Why is it you don't like to be corrected? 
I've been talking to my kids. We live in a rebellious time. People do not like to be corrected. So God's word is our reference point. Throw up that Encyclopedia of Biblical Words. This is the word good in the Bible. Just take a picture of it. I haven't got time to read it. But it basically says how we're going to know good is only through God's word. It's the word, actually it's T-O-B. That's a, mis, that's a misspelling. The word in the, in the Hebrew is T-O-B for the word good in God's word. And it means that God's word, that's how we're going to know what's right, is through the word of God. But how do we know God's word is right? I know it's faith. I mean, is it really, like, is it really valid even? So there's 66 books in the Bible, right? The Bible was written over a span. You take out the gaps of the years like the mid- medieval age times, the 400 years in between Malachi and Matthew, 400 years of nothing, if you study that. The Bible was written about 1,500 years in a span of 1,500 years. The Old Testament, 39 books of the Old Testament, was written, uh, written in the span of like 1,100 years. So you're looking at something written over this. You add the 400 years in between the Old Testament and New Testament. You got a lot of different people writing the Bible. You got a lot of different prophets. You got a lot of different generations I mean, think about how much this generation is different from 50 years ago. This is a span of 1,500 years writing the Bible. Hang with me. In the Old Testament, 39 books, there are 300 prophecies about the coming of Jesus. In the Old Testament, way before Jesus ever showed up. 300 prophecies about the coming of Jesus. In the mid-1900s, there was a 20th century uh, scientist named Peter Stoner. You'll see his picture, I think, on the screen. Do we have that? Brilliant scientist. In around 1950, he begins to look at, and he he, he really specializes in uh, probability. Anybody know what probability is? Probability is this. If I take a five-gallon bucket, I put nine white tennis balls, one yellow tennis ball in this bucket, and I blindfold you and say, come and pick out the yellow tennis ball, blindfolded, you have a one in ten probability. Chance, however you want to call it. That's, he began to study the probability of Jesus and how can really 300 prophecies in the Old Testament from different generations, different people, and not just a general prophecy. I'm talking about straight-up prophecies. He decides to uh, use 600 college students to do this study. Also, the, the American Scientific Association decided to back this study, and once they went through it, I'll go ahead and jump to the end, they found it to be absolutely correct and actually conservative in what it found. So Dr. Stoner decided to just take eight of the 300 prophecies, eight, that are like, there's no way these eight can be true of Jesus that came to pass hundreds of years later. Here are the eight. You can see it on the screen. Just eight out of 300. Christ is to be born in Bethlehem, prophesied in Micah chapter 2, 5 verse 2. You can get the point. You can take a picture of it if you want to. I won't go through all of it. Christ has got to be born in Bethlehem. 
Christ is to be preceded by a messenger, Isaiah 40, verse 3. These are all the Old Testament references, prophetic words. Christ is to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Christ is to be, is to be betrayed by a friend. There's a scripture reference. Christ is to be sold for 30 pieces of silver. So don't tell me Jesus read it and did it, you know. Maybe have <laughs> The money for which Christ is sold is to be thrown to the potter in God's house. Do you remember that story? Christ is to be silent before his accusers. He opened not his mouth, Isaiah 53, 7, like a lamb. Christ is to be executed by, cruci to be executed by crucifixion as a thief. So Dr. Stoner looked at what's the probability of just these eight being fulfilled Next, next screen. The chance one man might have lived down to right now, the present time when he did the study and fulfilled of just these eight prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. Just these eight. What does that look like? Throw that next. That's a one with, se that's a one with 17 zeros. That... You buy, you get silver dollars, and it will cover that many silver, that many coins would cover the state of Texas. Blindfold you, put you in a helicopter, say, "Come on down," and you're going to land and pick out the one yellow coin. That's just eight of three hundred that they found this study. That the probability that one man could live and fulfill just these eight is one. In 10 to the 17th power, musicians, come on. All eight came to pass. So they decided to go 16. Let's just see if 16 out of 300, one in 10 to the 45th power. Look at the chances. Yet Jesus fulfilled all of them. They decide to take it, what about 48 of the 300 coming to pass? There's Don't tell me God's word is not relevant and true to us today. What he said will come to pass. That is amazing. And we could go on and on. I, I have no clue with that. God's word is true. All 300 prophetic words about your Savior and Lord Jesus Christ came to pass. Can somebody give Jesus? So what is our reference point? God's Word. How do you discern between good and evil? God's Word and the Holy Spirit in our lives. And God's word is Jesus. Somebody say Jesus. Who we're talking about. Anybody love Jesus? How many of us? He is the way. Not a way. He's the way. He is the truth. Not a truth. He is the life. This whole word is the gospel. Even the Old Testament is a shadow of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Genesis who is Jesus? He's the breath of life. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, in the book of Numbers, he's the fire by night. 
In Deuteronomy, he's Moses' voice. In Joshua, he is salvation's choice. Judges, he's the lawgiver. In Ruth, he's the kinsman redeemer. First and second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he's sovereign. Ezra, he's true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of the broken walls and broken lives. In Esther, he's Mordecai's courage. In Job, he's the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he is our morning song. In Proverbs, he's wisdom cry. That's who Jesus is. In Ecclesiastes, the times and the season. That's who Jesus is. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he's the weeping prophet. That's who Jesus is. In Lamentations, he's the cry for Israel, for God's people. In Ezekiel, he's the call from sin. That's who Jesus is. In Daniel, he's the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he is forever faithful. In Joel, he's the Spirit's power. In Amos, the arms that carry us in times of need. In Obadiah, he's the Lord, our Savior. In Jonah, he's the great missionary. In Michael, he's the promise of peace. In Nahum, he's our strength and our shield. In Habakkuk, in Zephaniah, he's pleading for revival. In Haggai, he restores a lost heritage. He restores his people. In Zechariah, he's our fountain. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is God, man, and Messiah. In the book of Acts, he's the fire from heaven. In Romans, he's the grace of God. Ah, hallelujah. In Corinthians, he's the power of love. That's the power of love. In Galatians, he is freedom from the curse of sin. That's who Jesus is. In Ephesians, he's our glorious treasure. In Philippians, he's the servant's heart. In Colossians, he's the Godhead Trinity. In Thessalonians, he's our coming king. In Timothy, Titus, Philemon, he's our mediator and our faithful pastor. In Hebrews, he's the everlasting covenant. In James, the one who heals the sick. In First and Second Peter, he is her shepherd. In First John and in Jude, he is the lover coming for his bride. And in Revelation, he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's who Jesus is. Come on, that's who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. Come on, somebody, give him praise. Come on, worship him for a minute. God, we glorify you. There is none good but you. Your word is our reference point. Jesus and the gospel is our reference point. Come on, come on, come on. Just for a minute. Come on, come on. Lord, we love you, Jesus. Lord, we magnify you. You're all we need. Come on, worship him. Come on, if you've never worshiped, I dare you to lift up your hands. Don't be weirded out. It's all right. Just lift him up. And you're saying, God, I want to know you. You are the good. You are God. Help me to discern between right and wrong and evil and good. Jesus. His name is Jesus. He's the King of Kings. He's El Shaddai. Come on, somebody. He's the Rose of Sharon. He's the Lily of the Valley. He's the bright and morning star. He is your strength right now. He is your salvation. Oh, glory to God. He is the healer of your marriage. He's the healer of your life. He is the deliverer from that drug addiction right now. Yes, he is. He is. He is. He is. 
He is. Yes, you are, Jesus. You're all we need. You're all we need, all we need, all we need. With every head bowed in this place. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I realize the time, but I promise you, this word was going to save somebody. I pray you never forget this word. Hallelujah. May we be able to discern between good and evil and wrong. When other people are calling it good, it may not be good. So, Father, our eyes are on you. Come on. Would you stand with me, everyone in this room right now as we honor God? Our eyes are on you, Jesus. God, in a time where rebellion is at all out high. God, I thank you that we're not... Lord, I thank you that we live in America, but we're not of America. We're of the kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We're kingdom people. We have kingdom mindsets. With every head bowed in this place, Pastor, I receive the gospel. I receive the message of salvation today that Jesus is all I need. He's everything that I need. His word declares it. And today I want to give my life to Jesus because he gave his life for me. He did it first, I promise you. You're his great reward. Hallelujah. You are his reward. He is your reward. And you say, Pastor, today I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. Pray for me. Come on, lift up your hand right where you're at. All, yes, all across this room. Yeah, hands are going up all over. Don't be, don't worry about people beside you right now. I mean, it's like, who, the, yeah, Pastor, pray for me right now. I want to surrender, yeah, my life to Jesus. In the word of God, they simply believed. They simply believed. With your hand raised, say this, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you came, you died, and you rose again so that I may have life, so that I may have your grace, your power in my life. I surrender right now to you. <laughs> Take over my life. I'm yours, and you are mine. Forgive me, wash me, and cleanse me. Thank you today for my new life in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <laughs> And amen, amen, come on. I want to pray over you. If you want prayer, lift up your hands right now concerning this word. Father, for Christy and I, every elder, every pastor, every leader of this house, Lord, please let us be a last day church. Let us be the church of Philadelphia that walks in love, not the Laodicean church that is deceived. Lord, from the youngest in this room, through the middle schoolers, the high schoolers, those that are in college, marriages and singles, we submit our life to you. Come on, somebody. We submit our life to you, Jesus. Lord, forgive us for being deceived. Forgive us for believing things that, are, that sound good but that are not you, God. And Lord, I thank you right now that deception is removed from all of our lives. Lord, help people to minister this word to other friends and other people. Lord, I thank you for this word going way beyond this place. Thank you for strengthening every life today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Come on, praise one more time.